Welcome to 26.1 AI Podcast. We are continuing our international tour today with our guest from London, Chris Loy. Chris is one of the founders of DataSign. He's their CTO, and it's a reunion of sorts. Last time I saw him was at the airport in Cleveland. Welcome, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you. You founded a company that you corrected me earlier. The name is Data Sign, as in a sine wave. What steps did you take to get there, or how did you get into the gig that you're in now? So Data Sign's a um, a AI startup um, based in London. Um, we've been going for a few years now, um, and essentially we're a platform that enables marketers to make data-driven decisions about their creative content. So that's like uh, the images that they use in adverts or um, the language that they use when talking to their customers, that kind of thing. Um, so being an AI startup using machine learning, so machine vision, natural language processing, and predictive analytics. So I, I ended up doing this. So my background is in software engineering, really. Um, I studied physics um, at Oxford University some time back, and then I spent um, about 10 years bouncing around the tech scene in London, um, which is quite varied, but um, most of that time I spent working for larger organizations, most of whom wouldn't be familiar to um, listeners in the US, I guess, but I, I worked at the BBC for a few years, who you'll have heard of, and then some kind of- uh, I, I think there's a lot of folks in the, in the United States that know the BBC, since some of our best content on, <laughs> on any of our channels is from- Yeah, you know, and uh, my parent company, Atos, has a lot to do with them. And there's actually a following of BBC, at least here in LA, of, of, for whatever reason, people prefer that as a media channel. So how do you go from physics to media? I mean, that seems like to me, and especially when you're on the more creative side, you know, using predictive analytics, of course, to how do you bridge that gap? It seems like one is pretty you know, mathematical in nature and one is both mathematical and human. You said natural language processing as well, very human aspects of AI. Yeah, so I, I kind of bounced around sort of engineering jobs for quite a few years and eventually um, decided to go back to school, I guess, as you'd say. So I um, I did a master's in machine learning at University College in London, um, which is one of several universities that we have in London. But at the time, it was a, it was a cool place to go and um, jump into the machine learning community, I guess, because of... Um, a lot of the excitement that was happening around. So Deep, um, DeepMind had just spun out of the faculty there. Um, some of our courses during that master's were taught by um, kind of senior researchers at DeepMind. Um, this, I, I was there 2015, so this was shortly after they were acquired by Google. Um, yeah, and it was it was a world that I wanted to break into. And that's where I, I, I met my co-founders. So I was um, studying with James, who's one of my co-founders and our um, chief scientist. And I also met uh, Igor, who's our CEO now, who was doing a um, PhD in psychology, of all things. And yeah, we we, um, we met and seemed like seemed like a good time to go and try and solve some, some real problems and, and put this stuff into practice. 
and so yeah that sign was born and um i guess like like a lot of startups we we pivoted and bounced around between a few ideas to begin with um and we ended up um yeah moving into the space of of really trying to um take this technology this kind of great capability of ai and apply it in an area that we we saw a lot of potential for which was in kind of creativity um and and specifically we focused on creativity uh, within marketing what what are the challenges of selling ai to marketers um they're numerous i would say um it there's there's a there's a, a knowledge gap that you have to bridge right so to to a lot of people um across many industries ai seems like this buzzword that's either to be dismissed or is a portent of doom um and the same is is true in in marketing um actually there are branches of marketing and kind of in um digital marketing where um technology has been very revolutionary over the last 15 years um online advertising is obviously extremely data driven in some aspects so there is there is a whole industry there that is used to using um kind of predictive technologies in order to drive how they operate but the area that we go after which is the more creative side tends to be um sequestered away from that and where there's kind of the the numbers guys who who sit there and figure out all the micro targeting of every facebook ad or every ad on google um then you have at the other side creative agencies or creative individuals who are um working in a much more traditional fashion and they're trying to catch up right they 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 want to use technology but it's it's a a difficult bridge for them to cross why is it why is that what's the is it the uh the adding a tool where it didn't exist factor is it that you know some people prefer a different method why why is it hard to bridge that gap i think it's the things that people value and that they um feel is most important about their job and and they if you speak to a a creative you know the number one thing that they're proud of is their creativity and so um often there's an entirely reasonable um uh disinclination to embrace technology as a way of um boosting your creativity like it seems like it's something that's going to come in and tell you how to do your job if if you're a creative you're not generally a spreadsheet person you probably use technology you use you know photoshop or you use lots of tools in order to um find ways to explore ideas and express yourself but you don't necessarily um naturally lean towards things that are more predictive more suggestive and might appear controlling and so the challenge for us is to show that actually technology can be used not in a way that's controlling but is uh directive and can give direction and actually when you when you get into it with creatives a lot of people will say that the thing that allows you to be the most creative as an individual is is limits right if you have a completely blank page and no um no limits on what you can do it's very hard to get started and it's very hard to know where to direct your creativity so actually using um 
technology as a way of gaining insight in order to point yourself in the right direction can can be really empowering um and that's 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 one of the things that we we try to work with creatives on do do you think giving the creatives the right steering wheel or gear shift in some sense with your technology helps um, provide them some comfort that they have control and that they're in charge? <laughs> you sort of say that as if the underlying assumption is that they're, is that they're not. <laughs> um, and well, I think that's the fear that many professionals have about AI or automation is that it'll illuminate their job, right? Yeah. And that's probably, there's, there's a potential for that to be true in any role. Like as, as a software engineer and data scientist, I see the potential for my role to be automated eventually, but I don't think it'll happen straight away because actually the things that um, machine learning are good at are not the same things that make you um, a good engineer and they're not the same things that make you a good creative. Um, you can, you know, produce art using AI if you want. Um, and there are lots of people doing cool stuff in that space. Um, but in terms of like genuinely increasing the output of human productivity, I guess, the, I, I, I think the human mind is still a long way ahead of where machines can be. And so for us, actually, it's important that the creative person is in control um, and we're there as, as a set of tools to help them to make sure that they're being as effective as they can and to kind of take their take away some of the things that are difficult. So knowing if, if something is going to perform well, knowing if it's going to appeal to a particular audience, things that are kind of analytical, but a creative person is being forced to think about because they have um, KPIs being set by their boss like that stuff is already impeding your creativity. And if you can have a platform that smartly helps you to uh, navigate that water, it takes the the mental load off you and it, and it actually means that you have more scope to um, try new things and know that they're not gonna bomb to, um, to kind of explore an idea more deeply in, in the knowledge that um certain aspects of it are still safe and likely to work and that kind of thing so does that make sense i believe so, yeah. I believe so. and you know i did a lot of work for adobe back in the day um and i was around the creative community quite a bit still am in fact um, and i think well, well your, your undergraduate study was in fine art Brian. yeah yeah and computers so the so this resonates, this topic resonates with me, but I also remember, and I think a lot of our audience can relate to this, is where there was a shift of things like auto-enhance uh, of pictures and how one part of the population was, well, that's really cool. I can make beautiful pictures. And then the other part of the population, the more creative crowd said, I hate it. I, this is horrible. This is, you know, this shouldn't be doable. You know, this is, it breaks all the rules. Are you running into that? dichotomy a bit where there is a part of the population that would enjoy bringing some of this cognitive aspects to their work's lifestyle and some are wholly rejecting of it 
for sure we get we get different responses but um we we try to we try to avoid that issue entirely i guess by um not meddling too much with with their output so we're we're um if it, to draw a comparison to the music world i like to think of us more as um pro tools um and and the the kind of change that that enabled rather than autotune <laughs> Like we're not coming in and trying to improve your content for you. We're we're giving you a toolkit. We're giving you insights. We're giving you predictive analytics that are there at your disposal to help you in your workflow, rather than saying that's all well and good, but we'll take it from here and kind of stepping in and, and altering the creative. Um, there are, there is there is some demand for that, I think, and maybe there are use cases that um, would merit it eventually. But it's not our focus. Well, let's get down to measurement. For example, you referenced earlier online advertising, which has really changed the marketing game towards performance. For creative features, for example, what are you measuring? How do you measure that success? Yeah, so I guess it's the same output at the end. But when you think about online advertising you're probably when and you're thinking about performance marketing what you're really thinking about is performance of targeting um so you, you know selecting exactly the right micro micro targeted group to go after or exactly the right uh, keyword search to target um and it's about choosing who you put your creative whether that's imagery or or messaging or whatever it is it's about choosing who you put that in front of and I think one of the reasons that that happened in the industry is because that data is already structured, right? It's it's You can look at targeting information and you can drop it into a spreadsheet. And if you can drop it into a spreadsheet, then you can train an algorithm on it, right? Um, but if the data that you're looking at is a bunch of JPEGs of ads that you've run in the past, like you're not going to get very far with putting them into a spreadsheet. So I guess the thing that we... Um, we do that differs us from that world is that we take that um, that data and images and text, they are data, but they're unstructured data. And we use machine learning technologies in order to turn them into structured data. So use machine vision to understand what's in this image, what's its style, does it have text written on it? Does it have overlays? Is it formal? Is it evoking um, happiness? Is it does it have people in it? Does it have faces? Are they smiling? All this, all this stuff. Thousand, thousands of features that we can pull out. Um, yeah. So that and we where turn do you, that and, where, and where? Sorry to interrupt, but where do you oh, get okay. your your data to train that? I mean, isn't that largely? I mean, if you're using true machine learning to figure out like if a photo is has a business aspect to it or a playful aspect to it, it just sounds like you would need an enormous amount of training data to make those classifications where do you find that um yeah it's a really good question so um we work closely with our clients and we largely work with um larger enterprises who have big data sets like every company that advertises using google display has a massive data set sat there of every ad that they've ever run and so we um we focus our um, algorithms on detecting things that are specific to their 
data set. I mean, we have a, a research team that also do amazing kind of open-ended research. So whether that's object detection, style detection, language style detection, those things obviously require gathering data, um, getting it labeled, and then using that to to kind of feed into the machine. But I think the the real value that I that I think we provide is by um, focusing on on first party data. So taking data that you already have that's sat there and that you're not using, and turning it into something that you can use, and providing the tools to do that. What what's that data look like? Because I, I remember the Mad Men episode where they wheeled in an IBM mainframe. And I think people forget advertising agencies were at the forefront of computing research and data. Today, what, what do these marketers, how do they keep their data? So it's, it's um, largely siloed. And it's one of the challenges actually of breaking into this industry. So the, there are big incumbent players, your Googles, your Facebooks, um, that are sitting on these silos of, of data. Um, and obviously then there's, there's a huge, a, a huge amount of data that sat in other, you know, uh, in-house built CRM systems, bespoke databases, hundreds of kind of third party um, systems for all kinds of different content. So it's it's spread out all over the place. And one of the challenges from the engineering side is is kind of bringing that together and unifying it in a way that we can then effectively process. Have you been able to crack the nut of using data sets from various sources uh, to create uh, a single model for classification of images or something like that? And those sources not necessarily wanting to see each other's you know a participation in that process um so i would say no not yet um there are kind of good regulatory reasons i guess for why that is the case um and there are t's and c's and and uh i guess a, a bunch of good reasons why that is difficult to do um it's something that I think we'd be interested in exploring as like an opt-in process for clients in the future. But actually, you'd be surprised how far we can get with just first-party data. And by focusing on on making the insights kind of local to the the data of a specific client rather than more global, um, it means that they can also be more relevant. A large part of what we do beyond just prediction is about opening up the black box, I guess. Um, it's not enough for us to just say um, this this image is good or bad, it's going to perform well or it isn't um, with X percent of accuracy. For it to be useful um, in a creative process, you need to know why. You need to know, okay, well, what should I change? What features in here are good and, and what are bad? What aspects need the most attention? And so we do a lot of work on um, opening that up, trying to make the AI explainable, um, which is a fascinating um, field of research, I think. Um, and what, one of the benefits of, of focusing on, on first party um, is that it means that when you open up the, 
the black box and you look at what's inside, it it's it's more relevant to each client because it's about their data rather than all global data. Now, are are your customers interested in serving up largely the same version of a creative in kind of different forms, like changing colors and things like that, depending on who's looking at that creative? Yeah, they can be. It sort of it varies from industry to industry and from client to client. Um, some of the guys who have spent more time um, thinking about optimization um, and maybe working with the more data savvy creative agencies know that like changing the color of a label on a specific ad can, you know, affect the uh, contrast in a way that'll make it more recognizable and that kind of thing. So, so uh, they are open to the idea of using AI to approach that. Um, but often it's, it's about tailoring the message to try to match the audience better, which can be much more about um, personalizing the whole customer experience and really changing the imagery and the way that you speak to somebody um, based on what's likely to most effectively convey the message that you're trying to get across to them. Are you segmenting the audiences as well? Um, I'm I'm just thinking of a company like Optimizely that started out with A/B testing, and that's just kind of really irrelevant at this point with AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so we um, we we do do uh, segmentation um, depending on the channel. Like how much we can segment is limited by what segments are already there. <laughs> um, so in a CRM setting, obviously, it can be fairly granular. If we're talking about online advertising, then it, it's kind of tied into those targeting settings that I was talking about before. Um, but we can we can really be as as granular as um, as the client wants because ultimately it's about taking that that spreadsheet of data that they already have and turning it into a much bigger one. And so there's much bigger scope there for um, kind of personalized content and segmentation and that kind of thing. So uh, just uh, get, we're reaching closer to the 26.1 minutes is our goal. Um, just to switch gears of takeaways and anything you want to leave the guests or any way to contact you or uh, anything that you would like to leave behind with the, this episode? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think what I'm talking about sounds interesting and you think that uh, there is a role for AI within the creative world and there are um, possibilities for exploring that, then I would love to hear from you. Um, our website is datasign.com. That's D-A-T-A-S-I-N-E, sign like a sine wave. And yeah, we're, we're always um, keen to speak to people who are um, interested in in taking a novel technology and applying it in in a new way. Um, so yeah, please reach out. I'm on Twitter as well, um, at Chris Loy. I'm pretty easy to get hold of, to be honest. Oh, great! Are, are you the 
only Chris Loy in the world? I, I tell people I'm the only Don Chu in the world. I, I am not the only Chris Loy in the world, but I was the first one to sign up to Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs>